This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Good morning, Word of Grace. We're going to get right into the Word this morning. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message this morning is Blessed Assurance. And if you're not writing down notes, you can take them on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever mobile device you may have by following along with the Bible app. You can use uh, the live section of the Bible app and uh, just look for a live event in your area and you should be able to follow along with that as well. So uh, we're going to get right into Romans chapter 8 and uh, we've been in the series in the book of Romans for 11 weeks now and we've made it all the way to the 8th chapter and last week we went through the seventh chapter and we talked about uh, the struggle that Paul explained and kind of leveled with us and sin. And then we also talked about how uh, Paul explained to us that we can walk in victory over that sin, how we can truly be free. So before we go read in Romans chapter 8 and get into this word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you so much for everyone that's come here in this place today. And I would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just grip every single heart the way you see fit, that you would speak this message with clarity and authority to every single heart because only you can make it applicable and reach every single person where they're at regardless of what they walked in here with. You know, God, and I trust in you to do what only you can do. So, Father, just pray that only the things that you would desire to be shared would be shared this morning, and I pray that our hearts and our minds would be attentive and ready to receive, expecting something great from you today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You know, the, there's a hymn called Blessed Assurance. How many of you remember that hymn or have heard that hymn, Blessed Assurance? For those of you who don't know it, it was a hymn that was written by Francis J. Crosby in 1873. And the first part of it goes like this. It says, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. <clears throat> oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. And then it goes on to say, this is my story, this is my song, I'm praising my Savior all the day long. And this really is your story, this really is my story, if we belong to Christ. And a lot of times, I think, because of the pressures of this world and all of the junk maybe that we've experienced or seen, having assurance is something that we need to be just solid and grounded in because the enemy would love to come and cause you to doubt, cause you to look to yourself for assurance when assurance can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that assurance can come. Amen? Amen. We live in a performance-based society. We live in a society that's really focused on how well we do. Think about our job performance, our job security, whatever that means, right? We think is based on how well we perform at work. If our boss were to come in and to tell us we no longer have employment there, but yet we've been performing well at our job, we would be really frustrated, right? We would start going, whoa, 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 what about, oh, Jack over here in the corner and Joe over here, he doesn't do anything. He comes in late, I come in early, I stay late, I do this and I do that. We would argue our position with the company based on what? The fact that we've performed well. Because we think that our performance has somehow entitled us to that security. And that's the way that we live in this world. That's the flow. That's the pattern here of this world. That's the expectation that we have come to expect. When we show up on Monday morning for our job, we're not wondering, do we still have a job for the most part? 
We walk through the doors confidently because we know we have met expectations, we have performed well, and therefore we feel secure in our position at the company based on our performance. Now the problem with that is that we take that same mentality to our relationship with God. We think that I'm secure with God based on how well I perform, based on how well I do the things I'm supposed to do, and how well I avoid the things that I'm supposed to avoid. And so based on my performance, I feel like that I have somehow earned or deserved God's love, and if I keep doing those things, that God is going to keep accepting me, keep loving me, but if I don't do those things, that God is going to reject me, and all of a sudden I'm no longer a part of His family. That's the problem with looking at salvation from a performance-based position or through a performance-based lens. When I don't do well, I feel condemned. I feel like I'm a failure. And I walk in fear and anxiety of what I'm going to lose. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I never really feel secure. And I, I can't really rest because the weight, the stress, the pressure is just weighing me down. I feel like I have been rejected. By God, when I don't meet up to what I think God wants me to meet up to when I look at God through a performance-based lens. I grew up in a very unhealthy style church where, um, I love leading off this story with that, by the way. Um, I grew up in a very unhealthy church where um, my pastor, he recognized something in me. Not everything about the church was bad, but there was definitely a lot more that was unhealthy about it than was healthy. But uh, when I was 14 years old, my pastor recognized in me that I was called to ministry. And he asked me, he said, do you feel called to ministry? And I said, yes, sir. So he said, well, I want to start mentoring you and spending time with you and giving you responsibilities in order that, uh, to help develop some things in you in ministry. And I thought, oh, great. This is so great because ever since I was a little kid... I knew the call to ministry. I knew that God wanted me to be in ministry. I didn't know if it was pastoral ministry. I didn't know what it was, but this is all I've ever wanted to do. My mom has videotapes of me when I was seven, eight years old preaching to G.I. Joe, telling him, get right or get left. Hell's not half full. You better turn or burn, you filthy, wicked sinner. And so because of this, I've always known this is what I was supposed to do. And I don't question that. So for someone else, especially my pastor, to recognize that in me, man, made me feel special. Made me feel really warm and fuzzy inside, and I thought this is going to be great. So my pastor gave me a responsibility. My first responsibility that he gave me was to charge his battery from his wireless lapel mic. Now this was back in the early 90s, and technology wasn't quite as nice as the little headsets that we have today. So it's like this big giant foam you know thing that would clip on his suit and i was responsible for making sure that his battery was fresh in that wireless pack and making sure that it got charged after the service and so i felt like i was just the most important person in the church because pastor asked me to make sure his battery was charged the only problem with this is that our pastor bought a charger i think it came off the mayflower or the santa maria i I don't i don't know which one it came off of It, it came off of one of these ships from hundreds of years ago because not only did my pastor had an archaic uh battery charger but he also had this gigantic door and every time you would shut the door in my pastor's office the entire uh, office would shake. It's just such a heavy door. You know what I'm talking about when you see one of those big heavy doors shut and it just brrrr. That would happen every single time without fail. Well, you had to position this 9-volt battery on that charger. You had to actually angle it just a little bit to get the light to come on to indicate that it was charging. You know what? I did it. Now you stay there. And then you would grab the door and you would walk out. 
almost like it's watching you. And then you would slowly close the door, and then just right there at the end, as you would let it go, and it would just shake the walls, and things in the office would shake, and it would just knock that battery I had worked so hard to position to get the charge off of the charge. Well, I remember about two weeks of this happened, and I was unaware that the battery was not charging. But as soon as I walked in the doors of the church one Sunday, I saw my pastor down the hall, and his office was in the church right down the hall as soon as you walked in. And I saw him standing out there by his office, and he did this. (laughs) And my pastor had a nickname for me, and I still don't understand it to this day, and he's dead, so there's no way I could ask him, or I would call him right now, literally, and ask him because I'm wondering. My nickname that my pastor gave me was Little Arab, I guess because of my skin tone. And uh, he would call me Little Arab, and he would go like this, Come here, Little Arab. That's how he talked. He had a real gruff voice. And he asked me if I wanted to do this. He asked me if I was serious. And I said, Yes, sir, it's your your charger. I'm trying to get it just right. And he said, Well, you need to figure out if you want to do this or not. So I'm scared to death now. Because now my pastor is upset with me, and so I still keep trying, shutting the door. Things still keeps messing up. Two more weeks go by or so, he calls me, here he comes, here's the finger, telling me to come see him, and I go in his office, and he just lights into me, I'll never forget this, 14 years old, he lights into me, tells me that if I can't handle a task this simple, that I must not be called to ministry, tells me that, you know, uh, if I can't, you know, do something right, then, you know, all these things, you know, I'm, I'm failing, he just unloads on me, just all these things about this battery. Well, I didn't feel very good after that. (laughs) Felt defeated. And honestly, because of those negative words that he said to me and those hurtful words and those frustrated words that he said to me, I began to actually question whether or not I was called to ministry because my pastor who had affirmed that call was now rejecting that call. Because, you see, I felt like for some reason that I was only called as long as I was approved by someone else and I did what that person wanted me to do. And I think you and I have a lot of the same stories in our own life. A lot of our relationships are based off of those types of dynamics and requirements that we'll be friends, we'll connect as long as you do what I want, as long as I want you to do, as long as you meet my needs, as long as you make me happy, as long as you give me what I want, then I will give you what you want. And that's approval. That's acceptance. That's love, whatever the case may be. And the moment you stop doing those things, or the moment that you do those things that I don't like, then relationship is severed. And the problem with this is that we look at God the same way. And we serve this world system that would say, you have to dress this way, you have to drive this, you have to live in this, you have to make this, you have to be this in order to be somebody or to be significant. And as long as I am failing that standard that the media or that my friends or that my boss or that my neighbors or whoever that I have allowed to define who I should be, as long as I keep missing the mark, I'm constantly feeling like a failure. I'm constantly feeling rejection. And then those will come along to remind us of our failure, remind us of our deepest wounds, remind us of our insecurities that we feel and expose those things and tell us we're not something and tell us that we are rejected, tell us that we are unloved, tell us that we are failures, and they only affirm what we already thought. But the only reason we thought that is because we didn't meet their standard in the first place. And so we have a choice to make in that situation. 
We can either work our hardest to meet other people's standards, to serve their opinions in order to gain their acceptance, their approval, or we can find security and assurance in the only relationship that truly matters. And that's our relationship with God. Amen? You see, we all know that our relationship with God is really the only one that matters when it comes to acceptance or rejection. We know that. We know that up here in our minds. But do we really understand that? Because if we understood that, then it would change the way we approached the other relationships here in this world. It would change the way that we looked at ourselves. It would change the way that we would carry ourselves. Because we could be walking in this life without fear of rejection of man. Because we know we're accepted by God. Just like Jesus said, he said, what are you afraid of man for? He said, what are you afraid of what man can do to you? He says, what's the worst thing? Jesus said, what's the worst thing a man can do to you? Kill you? What's the worst thing he can do? Promotion. Ching, ching. What's the worst thing a man can do to you? He said, don't fear a man who can kill the body, but has nothing to do with the soul. Has nothing to do with eternity. His opinion has no bearing on eternity. He said, instead, fear God, the one who can both kill body and soul. He said, you need to fear him, walk in fear, walk in reverence, walk in respect and honor of that one, not of man who you're serving their opinion in order to gain some type of assurance of acceptance, because that's really what we find ourselves looking for. So when we don't find that acceptance that we're looking for, what do we find? We find condemnation. We find that we're condemned because we didn't measure up. We find that we're condemned because... We didn't measure up to someone else's standards or we didn't gain their approval and so we feel rejected. Let's see what Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. He said there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. That means the failure. That means all the weakness. That means all of your shortcomings where you don't measure up to everyone else's standards and you feel rejected and you're not welcome or relationship has been severed because of your weakness. He says here that that condemnation that you may experience from your weakness or your failures in earthly relationships with earthly standards don't apply to your relationship with Him because there's no condemnation in that relationship. It's not based on how well you do. It's not based on how well you perform. Because he said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now the New King James tags on, who do not, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now that phrase is a phrase that is taken from verse 4. And that phrase is actually not even in the original manuscripts. That was something that King James added there to hope to bring some clarity to that, but doctrinally, it doesn't really make sense to add that there because that first 
part there in chapter 8 is talking about our position with Christ. And verse 4 is talking more about our journey as a believer. So as we look at that, some of your Bibles may not even have that. And you may wonder, why why does my Bible not say that after it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Well, that's the reason. It's mainly only found in the King James and in the New King James and those translations. And that's the reason why. But it makes more sense there in the fourth verse where he said it. Now, here's the thing. Assurance of your salvation or your standing with God, we know, is not based on our performance. Although our standing with God is secured by our faith in Christ, our lives are still to grow in sanctification or in Christ's likeness. Those are something that we grow in. Those are things that God has called us to grow in by renewing our minds, by changing our values, by changing what, what, what we're really chasing after. Because here's the thing, we can chase after man's opinion, we can chase after that and serve that, or we can live our lives to please God. And the only way to please God is by what? By faith. Amen? Amen. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible. Without faith in the finished work of the cross, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant that it is finished. Now, our salvation, our right standing with God is no longer credited to us. It's no longer based off of something that we have earned or deserved. It's not a merit-based system. It's not a gold star by your name because you got the spelling word right for the week, right? It's something that we receive by faith. That's how we receive that kind of grace. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. Ephesians 2 and 8, we quote this almost every week. For it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's not by our works. It's not by something we performed. It's not by something that we did. So our assurance of our salvation, our assurance of our standing with God, is not based on our performance. Let's keep reading in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. says, listen, our bodies are dead because of sin. One day these bodies are going to wear out. These bodies are going to die. This house of flesh is going to die. But guess what? Even that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in you. So we're also going to bodily be resurrected to once again be with our Lord and Savior. And we see this promise here that he's telling us that we are to walk in the spirit and not after the flesh. Now we use the word a lot and it sounds like a church word. Don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Well, what does it mean to walk in the flesh? What is Paul referring to? Well, he uses that term flesh in three different ways. One of the ways he uses it, he's actually talking about a physical body. When he's saying walking in the flesh, he means he's actually walking in a physical body. And he references that in Romans 2 and 28. And then another way that Paul references the flesh is from a human point of view. 
In other words, it's not a God point of view, it's a human point of view. And he references the flesh in that manner in Romans 1 and 3. And then also we see that Paul uses the flesh as man's efforts apart from God. Now that's the primary way that Paul references the flesh. So when you hear that term flesh, that's primarily what Paul is talking about, is man's efforts apart from God. And that's just what we read there when he keeps saying flesh over and over again. He's talking about our efforts, human efforts, apart from God. Our trying to earn acceptance, our trying to earn salvation, our trying to somehow be worthy of deserving or earning that type of salvation or welcome or inclusion in the family of God. And it simply can't happen in our own efforts. That's why he said here that if you walk after the flesh or if you walk after your own efforts apart from God, that's going to lead to death. That's going to lead to spiritual death because you can't save yourself. Right? We can't save ourselves. Amen? We went through all this teaching about the law, how we can't save ourselves, and I think that Word of Grace Church family, if you've been here for even one of these Romans messages, you get that, right? We got it. We can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves in our own efforts apart from God. We need God. We need to depend on the finished work of the cross by faith, that what Jesus did is good enough, because we could never do what Jesus did. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He was born of a virgin, fathered by the Holy Spirit. And then he took your sin and my sin, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ stood in our place to take what we deserved. He took that punishment, and through faith in him, now we've been made right with God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Amen? Amen. And we can't earn it in the flesh. Not in our physical body, not from our point of view, not from our efforts apart from God. Let's keep on reading in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We don't owe anything to the flesh. We don't owe anything to the flesh to live according to it. But verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now we see here in verse, in verse 16 that he says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit within us that assures us of our standing with God because of faith in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that confirms in our heart, that bears witness. We know we belong to God. So I don't have to be fearful. Remember what he says in verse 15. He said, you didn't receive a spirit again unto fear. What is he saying? He said, you didn't receive a spirit to where you should be fearful and afraid for your standing with God because your standing with God is not based off of your performance. He said, it's actually the Holy Spirit dwelling within you that lets you know you belong to God. And it's based off of faith in Christ alone. That gives me a confidence that I have knowing I belong to Jesus, knowing that I am a part of God's family, and it's not anything I earn. It's not anything that I deserve. It's the Holy Spirit within us that bears witness with our spirit. And he said, you didn't receive a spirit of fear. 
You didn't receive that. When you came to God, you did not receive a spirit that led to fear. Because where does fear end up leading? It leads down the road of condemnation. It leads down the road of guilt. It leads down the road of me being tempted to go back into living in the flesh to try to somehow earn God's love, somehow deserve God's love. And I can't do it. You didn't receive a spirit of bondage, of fear, but you receive a spirit of adoption. Spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. That is an intimate term, that word Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy, God. It is a very intimate Papa. It's my Father. It's my Dad. My Father, God. It's a family, intimate term. And he said you received a spirit of adoption. And in Roman culture, it was even more difficult to adopt a child than it is nowadays in our culture. And Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he's telling them that they've received a spirit of adoption? It's blowing these guys' mind, because they're going, man, adoption is a hard, difficult, rare thing that would ever happen. Because when you adopt a child in that Roman culture, that child could never be cut off as an heir or as a part of your family. Once that child has been accepted into your family, that child could never be rejected or cut off. You could say, well, no, you're not going to receive any inheritance. Too bad, so sad, you adopted them. Now, your natural children could be cut off. Your natural children could be cut off from being an heir in that culture, but your adoptive children could not. And so here we see that Paul says, listen, you have received not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of bondage, but you received a spirit of adoption. The Romans are just going, what? A spirit of adoption where we cry out, Daddy, God. And then he said, if we're children, we're heirs, verse 17. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. We see something. That we're an heir. We're connected to the family because of faith in Jesus Christ. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We see that something special happens with an adopted child. That child is chosen. I don't know if that just messes you up seven ways from Sunday, but it does me. Because when I think about that, when did God choose me? When? When did God choose you? When did He choose me? When we had everything figured out? When we washed our faces and brushed our teeth and combed our... When we washed our faces and brushed our teeth? Is that when God chose us? Did God choose us when we began to talk right, spit white, not dip and curse and chew and not date the girls that do? Is that when God chose us? No, the Bible says that while you were yet sinners Christ died for you you know what that does to me that just takes all of this weight of living in this performance type mentality it just drops and it makes me able to breathe and rest in the finished work of the cross because that same pastor that I couldn't get his battery right well there were things I couldn't do right I I could never pray enough to be spiritual enough for him I could never read my Bible enough I could never fast enough. I could never do enough spiritual things. I, I, I remember one time he actually called me and got on to me because I was sick and I missed church. Because I should have had enough faith to claim my healing and I shouldn't have been sick. And, that was, and that's the kind of call I got from my pastor, that I was sick. And that's the kind of call I got from my pastor. And I began to feel like 
I have to do better in order to get good things from God. And I think that that same mentality has transitioned into our culture to where we think, oh, if things are going well in my life, it's because of something that I'm doing, and I'm doing really well, and God is blessing me because He blesses me when I do well, and when I don't do well, He goes, oh, see you later, Jack. Like He's abandoned me as His child. We feel rejected. We feel like we've lost hope and we want to throw our hands up in the air and just give up on Him. But let me tell you something. He has not given up on you no matter how low you fall. Amen. He does not throw you out. He does not just say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're struggling or they've got an issue in their life. I guess that, you know, they can't be a part of my family anymore because they're not good enough to be part of my family. Listen, friends, you and I were never good enough to be part of the family of God. Jesus Christ made us all right with God. Amen? It was never based on us. It was never about us. It was all about God, all by His big consiling, and unto mankind, unto God, all by His big bad self. Not anything you did, not anything I did, and the Holy Spirit lets me know I'm right with God. When I know I'm right with God, that changes my attitude towards God. It changes my expectancy towards God. It changes the level of peace I walk in. Because everybody wants peace. Everybody wants to walk in peace that passes their understanding. Because all of us go through trials. All of us go go through temptation and hardship. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-believer, you're going to go through hard stuff. Everybody wants peace. But you can't walk in peace that comes from God unless you have peace with God. And it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit, lets us know we're children of God that enables us to go, you know what? I don't like what I'm going through right now. It's it's, it's not very fun, but you know what? I'm going to keep on moving forward because I still know I belong to God. Even though I may be struggling, even though I may be going through a difficult time, I still know God hasn't given up on me. He's still my Abba Father. Amen, somebody. Man, that changes everything. Let's keep on reading. Verse uh, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, uh, or futility, but not, uh, but not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But this hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for that with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He who searches the hearts and He who knows the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. See, we have assurance that God helps us in our weaknesses and in our hardships. God doesn't leave us alone to figure everything out when we struggle. And that somehow our struggle is a result of the fact that we haven't been good enough to be a part of His family anymore. No, no, no. You see, He actually notes that we're going to suffer. 
He knows that we're going to struggle because of Christ. You see there in verse 17, it's part of our identification. Oh, we don't like to talk about this. Okay, well, let's hold up just a minute. Romans 8 and 17 says, If we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We like to preach about being glorified. We like to preach about being healed, saved, delivered, set free. Hallelujah! Well, we don't like talking about identifying with Christ and suffering, but let me tell you, it's scriptural. It's part of our identification with Christ. Jesus said, don't be surprised. He said, actually, people are going to hate you, and it's going to be my fault. Because here's what's happening. Let me show you this. This world has a flow. It's going this way. And the majority of people are going in the flow. And they're going with the flow of this world. And it's a flow that is filled with selfishness, that's driven by self, that's driven by man's opinion, that's driven by, and I'm not doing like a Hawaiian dance up here, <coughs> but <laughs> it, it's, 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 not, it's, not driven, uh, it's not driven by God. It's driven by selfishness. It's driven by anger. It's driven by hate. It's driven by sin. Turn on the news. You'll see the flow. It's driven by hate and anger and death and rage and fear. That's the pattern of this world. And it's going this way. And then we as Christians stand up who were once a part of this flow, just going with the natural flow. And when we went that way, nobody noticed. We used to look like everybody else. But then you go this way against the flow, and all of a sudden you're standing out. Now, when the pressure is on that the world would want to bring, is that easy to go against a current that's flowing one way? No, it's not. It's not easy. It produces difficulty, it produces suffering, it produces hardship. It can wear us down, it can put pressure on us, and it wants to break us and get us to put our hope back in our thoughts and our opinions and ourselves. But when we stand up and we go the opposite way, man, we see, oh, this is making me weak, this is hard, this is difficult. But don't worry, Christian, because the Bible says that the Spirit Himself helps us in our weaknesses, amen? He helps us when we go against this flow. How many of you have heard about what's going on in the city of Houston, the fourth largest city in the United States? There in the city of Houston, the mayor, who is a homosexual, has said that, that she is requiring a certain group of pastors to submit to her all of their sermons that may speak against homosexuality or may call it sin. She wants all of their sermons. She's subpoenaing their sermons. Now this group of pastors has stood up and they've got all kind of legal advice and things like that to try to, you know, fight this and go against this because they're not going to turn over their sermons. So praise God that these are men of integrity who are going to hold to the truth of the Word of God. But that's going against the flow. Because Houston's the fourth largest city in the United States and it is the second largest city for homosexual uh, uh, um, uh, residents following behind San Francisco, if you didn't know that. And so in the city of Houston, the flow is, hey, what's the big deal? Why are you guys hating on everybody? Why are you guys got to be speaking that what we do is sinful? Why are you got to be saying these things that we don't like? And someone stands up and goes against the flow. Man, they need the Spirit of God rising up within them. Amen? That will help them during their hard times and their difficulty and their hardship because those things are difficult. When you want to stand up for something that nobody else is standing up for or that the majority is not standing up for, what about, let's, let, let's take it down to our home right here in Sheboygan County. What about when you have to stand up for something at work or in your family or in a relationship 
What, when you have to stand for something that may be a hard truth that goes against the flow of sin. Man, you don't have to worry because even though the pressure may be there, even though it may try to overcome you, even though it may try to destroy you, even though at times we may get sucked and drawn into it, even though at times we may fail and we may get swept up in it, the Bible says that the Spirit Himself helps us in our weaknesses because He's praying for us. He's making intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. We see that we have an intercessor. That is a go-between, between us and God. And He is not only there as a go-between, just sitting there waiting for us to talk to Him. No, He's actively interceding for you and for me. That gives me assurance, folks, that the Holy Spirit of God is on my side. Amen? Amen. And He tells me in verse 28 that He can take all those hardships, all those difficulties, all those things that were intended to destroy me, and He can actually turn them on their head, turn them around, and work them out for my good. Because if it's going to work out for my good, it's going to first and foremost work out for the glory of God. So that means even the junk that the devil intended to destroy me, because this stuff doesn't come from God, because the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and life abundantly, John 10.10, 10. amen? We see that this junk comes from the enemy. It comes from Satan. It comes as a result of the fall of man, because sin is ruling in this world. And the Bible even said there earlier in chapter 8 that creation itself is going, oh, we want this to change. Creation is groaning for things to change, to be redeemed, because all of this stuff is going to be redeemed when we see Christ come and we rule and reign with Him and we're going to see all of those things restored. It says creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed, waiting for these things to come forth because this earth is is, is groaning with pains and, 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 and it's a result of sin. But He said all those things are going to be restored. He said, so we need to have perseverance as we wait for our full reconciliation with God. Because we've been made right with Him in our spirit, but our bodies are decaying. And we know, oh, don't get me started on that. Oh, there's products out there, folks, but our bodies are decaying. Amen. (laughs) You guys are way too serious right now. You see, here's the thing. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through difficulty. We know that. Blah, blah, blah. You're not alone when you go through those things. Amen? Amen. And you're not going through those things because somehow God is mad at you. You failed Him. And so I guess He's just leaving you out there to flop and flounder around. That's the idea that we have of rejection of God. Like God is rejecting us, so He's punishing us. No, no, no. God has not rejected you. God has not abandoned you. Because he says, I'm with you even to the end of the earth. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Amen. I can know that God has accepted me, that God loves me. I can have assurance that not only is God there with me, but God is for me. And that God loves me and he can make all things work together for our good and his glory. I can be assured that God has a purpose for me because he knows me. He knows who I am. 
am. Let's go and read verse 28 again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Who he called, these he justified. And who he justified, those he glorified. Here's the thing. Not only did God know that we would exist... But rather, he knew that he thought of us in a personal saving relationship. God predestined us to be conformed into the image of Christ. He planned for you and me to be conformed into the image of Christ. That means he has given me a purpose here on this earth to grow in Christ's likeness and for that to be fully revealed in heaven when we're made like him. Remember when I was teaching on sanctification and how we're growing in Christ's likeness, how we're growing in glorifying God in our lives. We're being conformed into the image. God has predestined us. He has chosen us and he has wanted us and desired us. Man, when I can say that I am chosen by God, when I can say that he chose me, oh, you want to know that just goes all over me as someone who is accepted. He has adopted me. He has chosen me because he said, God, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life amen Amen. whosoever he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to this relationship and he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son we're not going to be made perfect here on this earth but when we see him face to face that consummation that glorification is going to be fulfilled and it's going to be complete he's justified us and we're going to grow to that point to where when we're finally with christ in heaven when we're finally there with him that we'll be made like him the scripture says but here on this earth i'm being conformed into that image he is predestined he's chosen me to be in his family he's chosen me he's he he, he's been calling me he's been drawing me he chose me before i ever had the ability to choose myself that's why the bible says that while we were yet sinners christ died for us amen You see, when we wake up and we see the grace of God, when we see the forgiveness of God, when we see the acceptance of God, we see, oh my goodness, this is God's will for man. This is God's will for humanity, that He's not willing that we should perish. He's not willing that we should be cut off. But He's made a way. He's actually made a way while we were yet sinners. And He's chosen for us to be predestined and to be conformed into the image of His Son. He called us. He justified us. And then eventually one day we're going to see that full glorification or consummation of our redemption. That's what the word was talking about there earlier when we're eagerly awaiting for that redemption of our body. Is that full consummation of this thing. Thank you, Jesus, that you know me. See, if you're known by God, that means he knew you first. And that means that you have been set on a course to be fully reconciled to God and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, spirit, soul, and body. We, we could say it like this. We could say that we are saved. We understand our position. We're positionally justified. And we are being saved or we are being conformed into the image of Christ as we're growing in sanctification. That's not complete yet, but we are growing in that. And then we will be saved fully when we see Him face to face and everything is completed in glorification 
we see that here in Scripture because Christianity moves from a positional standing to an experiential standing or sanctification like we've been talking about the past few weeks and then to glorification. God called you out of sin. He called us out of sin. And we answered that call. Amen? We've answered that call. We've heard Him calling. We've seen His desire for mankind. We've seen His heart. He's shown us His faithfulness. He's shown us His goodness. And we have chosen to receive that love. And He wants us to be conformed into the image of His Son. You see, God has called you out of sin and into a purpose-filled life that brings Him glory. A life that is assured that you belong to God through faith in Jesus. He knows you. He predestined you to be like Jesus. That's what the Word says. Amen? Amen. The Word says He wants us to grow. He's act- that's His actual desire. And that's going to actually happen because He has said it's going to happen when we see Him face to face. Let's keep reading verse 31. So what are we going to say to these things? Oh, here we go. Paul's about to get on a roll. He's about to get his preach on. I think he had an organ player when he was writing this. He said, what shall we say then to these things? Come on, somebody. He said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justified. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us from his love? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord amen somebody come on church you guys know the rules one claps everybody claps amen Amen. We see here that even in difficulty, even in challenges, even in hardships, I am still loved. I am still chosen. I am still called by God. It has nothing to do with my lack of faith that somehow God is looking upon me with disappointment and disgust and He's rejected me. No, I am still loved. My position does not change. My calling does not change. My calling doesn't, doesn't change just because I failed some pastor's standard or expectation when I was 14. Amen? Thank God it doesn't change just because a man said that you're not qualified. Thank God that just because you and I have failed or may struggle 
that God doesn't stop loving us, doesn't stop challenging us, doesn't stop convicting us, doesn't stop chastising us, doesn't stop encouraging us, doesn't stop leading us. That is the love of God that leads us to repentance, that leads us to life change, that leads us to Christ-likeness, that leads us to live lives that reflect His glory. Amen? Amen. It is His love. And He's going to work all things together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. It's for His glory. It's for His glory. So don't let your hearts be troubled when difficult things come your way. Just keep trusting in God. Keep moving forward. Don't allow negativity to get you stuck. Because the junk, the pressure, the flow of this world would love to sweep you away up in it. Would love to get you to give up on God because it's too hard. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Well, let me tell you something. God has forgiven you. He's made you right with Him through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. He has adopted you. You are His child. He's for you. Who could be against you? You see, when God is on my side, that gives me assurance because my spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit that I belong to Him. And nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. That takes a load off my shoulders from trying to live a performance-driven life. And I go, and what it actually stirs up in my heart when I understand it for what it is, you want to know what it does stir up in my heart? Worship. It stirs up worship in my heart. Because now I see how big and huge what Christ did for me is and how it had nothing to do with me. And then all of a sudden I begin to understand, oh my goodness, and I want to worship Him out of a response to receiving His forgiveness, His grace, and His goodness. And then I want to walk the way He wants me to walk. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to renew my mind. I want to find healing from past wounds and junk that has been dictating my behavior. Because now I see that He's made me free. And He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I want to know what that means and looks like. And I want to know how to live that and walk that out. Because I'm called, even in struggles, even in trials, even in hardship. If I know God is for me, not against me, then I need to see what God says in the situation that I'm in. So I can grow in trusting Him more. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. I'm purchased by God. I'm born of His Spirit, and I'm washed in His blood. This is my story. Amen? This is my song. I'm praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You see, we're called not only to be positionally right with God, but we're called to possess the position. Sounds like a book title, doesn't it? Well, it's not. I made it up. (laughs) I read it in a commentary. (laughs) I thought it was good. (laughs) I thought I'd share it. We're called to possess the position. You see, we understand our position is right with God, but we're called to possess it, and that's the walk of growing in Christ-likeness is possessing the position. Because it transitions from me knowing it and me receiving it to me actually growing and walking it and showing it. Because I go, okay, I know I'm justified. Now I need to live like I'm justified because the just live by faith. 
Amen? You see, the just are called to live by faith. We're called to possess our position. We need to grow in what he has called us to grow in. Now, today, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go back in Romans as we grow in understanding of, of possessing the position, as we grow in our understanding of who he's made us to be, because we know who we are by faith. It's by faith. Amen? We can be assured today that God is for us, that we're forgiven, that we're being conformed to Christ's likeness as we grow in this journey of trusting and knowing God. And I want us to do something together as a church family. I want us to, to go back in the book of Romans and I want us to read chapter 5, all right? This is what I want you to commit to do this week just as a part of this church family. I want you to read chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And here's why I want you to do that. Because 5, 1 through 11 really talks about our position and what Christ did for us and how he was our substitute, all right? I want you to read that and I want you to think on it. The Bible spiritual word for that is a word that we don't use very often in our culture because it's often associated with Eastern mysticism, but it's meditate, all right? And I'm not talking about, you know, light some incense and sit with your legs crossed and go ohm over and over again while you're making okay signs with your fingers, I mean that what he wants us to do is meditate or think on the same thing over and over again. All right? Let me really de-spiritualize or de-spookify that word. Meditate just simply means to think on something over and over again. So that means when negative junk comes in and you're playing it over and over again in your mind, guess what you're doing? You're meditating on negativity. When someone would say something hurtful to you or they would reject you and you're hitting the replay button on your iPod all day long and you're hitting the replay button on that situation, you're meditating on that situation. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Hello, somebody. It's a different sermon, but uh, anyways, there you go. The Bible says that we need to renew our minds, that that's actually going to transform us. It's going to change the way we act, the way we react. So now we've been given a new identity in Christ, and we need to see who we are in Christ. Romans 5, 1 through 11 explains the substitutionary work of Christ, that he was our substitute that he did what was supposed to be done to us, what was actually deserved by us and earned by us. Christ actually took that. And so we need to read that. And the reason I want us to read it is because we need to remind ourselves of exactly who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, what he's forgiven us from, and it's going to set you free. And here's what I want you to do, just to give us a little interactivity here. Uh, as a church family, I want you to post what God is speaking to your heart as you read this. If God shares anything with you, or if maybe you feel something, or, 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 or you're just, man, I just feel this weight lifted as I read this, because I finally get it, I finally understand it. Share that with church family, and use that with the hashtag on Facebook and Twitter of Romans W-O-G. And uh, you can also shoot us an email with that at info at wogcc.com in case you don't have uh, Facebook or Twitter, if God's delivered you from those things. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, you, can share, you, can, you can share those things as well through sending an email. Or if you don't have a computer and uh, you know, you're still uh, you know, using your rotary phone and all that stuff, that's cool too. You can uh, call the church office and you can say, hey, I'm not hating on a rotary phone. I think they're awesome. Um, but they're really hard to send text messages on. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyways... <laughs> But anyways, I want, I want you to call us and let us know. What, what, I want to know what God is speaking to your heart because a message like this that helps us walk in assurance, here's the end result of this, is that we can all walk free. Amen? Amen. That we walk free. So here's what I want you to do. Just take this and, and share your findings with your community group number three this week. Um, I, if you're not involved in a community group, there's still some that are open. We want to get you plugged in. Call the office. Go check it. 
excuse me, go check at guest services or check online. I think that uh, there's still some sign-ups online that show you availability. So you can get connected with your church family throughout the week and share with your group. Say, hey, I did what pastor said. I, I read Romans 5, 1 through 11, you know, as I was drinking my coffee or, you know, on my break at work or whatever the case may be. And man, I just really began to understand this. And I never really understood this before. Or maybe I do understand it, but man, I really am just getting an assurance about my standing with God and the fact that I'm forgiven and what Christ has done for me. So I want to challenge you to do that this week, all right? This is your homework, okay? And and I'm going to be reminding you of it um, on social media and in our top five email and then again in your community groups. I want you to be challenged to do these things because I think that it's just going to be something that's going to help us walk out what we've learned today. That's going to help us grow in that blessed assurance of the substitutionary work of Christ being enough and that we need to have faith and trust in what he did. And it's going to help us to grow as disciples who are called by him to grow in Christ's likeness and glorifying God. Amen? Amen? Let's stand up this morning. So glad you've come here today. So glad you worship together as a church family. Uh, don't forget to stop out by the tables out there on your way out and check out the uh, new church apparel. They say family on it. It's got the little Word of Grace leaf on there and love God, love people. And there's some other things that say Word of Grace on them. So check those things out on your way out. It's just going to be great. Um, I'm just really excited about what God is doing here at Word of Grace. I think it's fantastic. I, uh, I, I, I love that we're growing closer together as a church family. I love that we're building relationships. I love that we're going deeper in the Word. I love that we're uh, beginning to see what discipleship looks like in the life of believers as we're getting connected and growing in the Word. And I love that we're just going through the book of Romans the way we are. It's just such a, just such a great thing. I'm just so thankful that uh, you come here every week with an expectancy in your heart to hear something from God. I think that that's awesome. That's great. So take that challenge this week. Don't take it lightly. I'm serious. (laughs) When I put my glasses on the end of my nose, that means I'm really, really serious. I am. I'm I'm serious. I want you to to take reading that Romans 5, 1 through 11, and I want you to let, let us know. Put it out there. You might encourage someone else by you just saying something like, I used to think that, you know, every time I did something wrong that God rejected me and I needed to come to Him all over again, but now I realize that it's faith in Christ that He's forgiven me and made me right with God. It could be just, I, I, I get that I'm free, whatever it is. Encourage, you never know what God may use, something you find in the Word that would encourage your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So let's make sure we actively do that and share those things this week with our church family. Let's keep on growing in grace, amen? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.